0: It's 2023, this year on the Eldritch Lawcast.
1: Fifth edition had the great fortune people aren't quite sick of it yet. In general.
0: Whatsy,
2: if this isn't super heisty, I'm coming for you.
1: Because I- I'm not
3: a wizard's... Kind of guy. The
2: snipers coming for Ben again.
0: Sean
3: calls it now. One D and D is the Overwatch two of Dungeons and Dragons. The <laughs> uh,
2: judgment.
3: Was I wrong there too? Yeah, probably. Dante uh, edit go. that out.
2: Get wrecked.
0: <laughs> All that and more. Hand motion. Pew pew. Right now. Uh, Three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. Welcome to this week's episode of the Eldritch Lorecast, which is going to be, I suspect, a sneaking suspicion, the number one podcast of 2023 in the tabletop RPG and D&D realms. Specifically, my name is Ben Byrne, and I am here, as always, as I was throughout 2022, for the most part, with Dale Kingsmill, Sean Merwin, James Hake. And James, I have to ask you, what is a new goal? We did this last year. So I'm asking you again, a goal for 2023 that you have professionally or personally or both.
3: My goal is to establish for myself a personal style that when someone looks at something, some product I've led, some RPG thing, they'll say, oh, I'll bet James made that. That's the sort of stuff we see out of them. I'll bet James made that because I, I've done so many things. I've done so many sort of broad things things for other IPs, right? I've done a lot of critical role stuff, I've done stuff for scattered, forgotten realms things. But one thing that I, uh, that I really admire about other artists is that they've, they've got a sort of personal style and I, and I I want to develop that sort of thing for myself. Do you have any ideas? What would go into that, that sort of style? I have ideas about sort of the path to developing it, um, because working at Ghostfire, a lot of the stuff that I do is pretty big projects that are focused on our worlds. And my my hope, and this, this may begin in 2023 and continue onward, but it's to create things that are more iterative, create things that are a little bit smaller, that can be developed quicker, and that can kind of spread out and conquer rather than putting all the eggs of my design in one basket. You know, this, this isn't something that I've like, I've got big plans with Ghostfire. It's like, I, I just want to do a lot of little stuff. And whether that's you know doing a little fiction writing for myself or or doing little little articles uh that are on the Ghostfire blog or with fables or something like that and and moving forward in that way,
0: fair enough, Oh, you've teased something there about fables a little bit uh, Sean Merwin a goal for twenty twenty three uh what would it be for you?
1: My goal is very business related, so it's not very exciting in terms of creativity. But it is to help set a foundation for a process at Ghostfire Gaming where we get our ducks in a row from the start and have everything moving according to plan. Um, Because we're still a young company and there are always growing pains. And actually, last year or this, yeah, this, we're into 2023 now. 2022, (laughs) I think, went very well. Uh, in terms of by the end, we, we did have these beginnings of a process. Mm-hmm. One of the things in that process I want to be able to do is help bring in new designers, new voices. Uh, part of that will be maybe this podcast, part of it might be going to conventions and having workshops with, with new, new folks. I've done it in the past, but because of COVID, I haven't been able to do it as much, uh, since. So that's the sort of thing that I'm looking to do, uh,
3: in this new year. Oh, I'm excited to work with you on this, Sean.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm excited to see what uh, what comes out of it. Um all right, moving along. No, I'm just kidding. Dale Kingsmill. Um <laughs> if you had a goal for 2023, what would it be?
2: I would like to learn how to ride a skateboard yeah. <laughs> and do two simple tricks.
0: <laughs> great, great. Just recently. Look, I'm one step
2: closer. I'm one step closer. I own a skateboard now. So okay. I mean, now I just need to find somewhere that I can ride it because I don't have any flat concrete available. There is a skate park, but it's a very good and popular skate park. And I'm scared that the the children will make fun of me in my (laughs) elbow and knee pads.
0: (laughs) It's like learning to ride a bike when you're 23, which was something that I did. It was great. When you're three years old learning to ride a bike and you can't do it very well, people look at you and say- Everyone's like, oh, you're
2: learning to ride a bike.
0: When you're 23 trying to learn to ride a bike, people think you're a jackass. They just when think you're When you're an 29
2: idiot. <laughs> trying to learn to ride a skateboard, they're like, "Why are you here?"
0: <laughs> well, I will I will bring up everybody's uh scorecard so to speak uh from our 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 goals for 2022. Uh maybe I had in like a moment. 20 of them. <laughs> you did. I had to keep writing down. I have a I have the list <laughs> right here. On this sheet of paper. Oh, I hope I don't have anything written on the other side of that. Maybe I do. Anyway. uh, (laughs) The secrets. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Speaking of secrets, we're going to start off with a good segue this year because uh, there are some secrets from Ghostfire Uh, Gaming that we are going to be spilling out on this podcast. You did a good
2: Uh, segue. Thank you for this New Year's gift. We're starting the year
3: off strong, baby.
0: Yes. I'm almost sad we weren't streaming for for folks to enjoy that in person. Anyway. Uh, Let us start our Ghostfire Gaming news talking about something that has released as of four or five days ago, uh, which is the first episode in the latest season of Fables, Agents of the Empire which is a new adventure. We had Citadel of the Unseen Sun at the start of 2022. Then we had Pirates of the Ethereal Expanse. And now the new Fables adventure, uh, which some folks may know about, as we talked about it late last year, is Agents of the Empire, which is kind of, you know what, James, you you early concepted this before you passed it over to Joe Rasso uh, in the Ghostfire team to, to to fully flesh it out with Joe's team. Why don't you give, give us the pitch as to uh, what Fables, what Agents of the Empire specifically is?
3: Yes, our third season of Fables. Uh, this is sort of the last vestige of my lead designership on Fables. Um, I, I created a one sheet for the very high concept of this that Joe Rasso went and, and developed into something uh, truly magnificent and something that he really bears the personal stamp of ownership on. I've always wanted to do James Bond in D&D. I've always wanted to do fantasy James Bond. Uh, I I love those movies, despite their flaws, of which they have many. Um, but as a kid, that's that was always a, a very cool thing that I watched with my dad. Um, and uh, in the midst of doing uh, Ethereal Expanse, knowing I wanted to do this, I rewatched every single James Bond movie. Um, I remember us talking about this actually. Yeah. And uh there's a lot of great stuff, and there's a lot of sexist garbage, and there's a lot of racist garbage, and there's a lot of really stupid bad jokes. Um, but <laughs> the stuff that's great I love. And I wanna I wanted to put all that great stuff and some of the the stupid jokes too, in <laughs> a <laughs> in uh in a D adventure. And that's essentially what we did. We took the Caroline Empire, the bad guys from season two of Fables, Pirates of the Ethereal Expanse, and made them into the empire of which you are an agent, which uh, kind of has some of my thoughts on uh, the real world British Empire (laughs) baked into the DNA there. there is a lot of very interesting and and morally complex stuff going on within the caroline empire you know you are citizens of it you believe in the righteousness of it your characters do or maybe they don't um but you're you're within its highest levels of intelligence and as you play through this fable which is a six episode fable just as it has been before uh, you will discover secrets about the empire. You will learn about how your allegiances lie. You will ultimately decide what you want to do with the very fate of the empire cradled within your hands. Um, mm. And it's going to be high octane. It's going to take some of the the Ethereum powered stuff that we've done in Pirates and put it into a very high magitech sort of uh, realm of gadgetry and uh, mechanics. Uh, Sean, you ran a playtest for this at GameholeCon last year, didn't you? Um, What TPK'd your party again? (laughs) (laughs) Without giving too many spoilers, at the end of the first
1: episode, there is a large scene that the characters are trying to gain control of. And it's ripe for things to go horribly wrong. And it went horribly wrong in the best way possible for a one-shot at a convention. Uh, Oh,
3: the humanity.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it it was. It was, oh, the humanity plus. Not only did (laughs) most of the characters die, but there were several innocent bystanders who who are sadly no longer oh, good. with us. And I will be, I will be running <laughs> exactly like a James Bond movie, and I will be running more previews, uh, hopefully at Winter Fantasy this year, happening in the first weekend in February in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, if you would like to, to have a look at what this new fable will bring, you can catch it there.
2: Winter fantasy of... sounds like the theme for a school dance. I'd just like to throw that out
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw that on Stranger Things, didn't
3: I? <laughs> it's quite possible. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this fable that I I don't really have the eye in the sky on, which is just as well because Ben doesn't want me to spoil it. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to getting Joe on the podcast to talk. Uh, all about the rad well, stuff that's going on. Well, luckily
0: we had Joe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, three
2: or four weeks ago, <laughs> four weeks ago when we that's, had Joe. <laughs>
0: that's how time works. Um, mm. but yes, <laughs> we're recording this a little bit, uh, a little bit early, so that we can take a break. I liked uh, Sean saying before, "Yeah, 2022 was a great year. Nothing went <laughs> wrong." I'm like, "Great, famous last words." We'll, yeah, in the, in the dying weeks got of
2: 2022, three weeks to prove him right. <laughs>
3: Um, um, one thing I suspect Joe talked about, or maybe didn't, <laughs> um, is- Maybe uh, he had
2: some insight that he would be asked about it. He just knew what he needed to talk about somehow.
3: Um would be about what we're doing with fables structurally. Yeah, if, if if the sniper needs to pull the trigger on me, like like let me <laughs> well, know. But <laughs> let me
0: let me run down my notes here because I, I I suspect I know what you're talking about a little bit. I'll run down my notes and then you can speak more to this because I have <laughs> uh, I have the sniper's like kill list right here, uh, just in case. And these are messy notes, so I might accidentally get you killed anyway. Uh, but yeah, a couple of um and, and for the record, I'm really excited about the content of this fable as well. I think it's very clever. Uh, to make the Caroline empire kind of the main, uh, at least I suspect initially protagonist of this adventure. And it really like the ethereal expanse is building itself out to be a very fun and expansive campaign setting kind of all on its own now, you know, which, which I think is really, really cool. Um, But there are a couple of sort of almost like quality of life changes going into Fables uh, for the next six months um, that we will continue to develop on kind of going forward. Um, Those are as follows. You get uh, a campaign setting or a a setting guide uh, for the Caroline Empire, which is fleshed out with uh, vehicle rules. Chase rules, uh, chase mechanics, because everybody uh, loved that scene from Casino Royale where Daniel Craig badly did parkour. Um, uh, we've got the <laughs> uh,
2: judgment. I, I
3: did like that <laughs> he, scene from Casino he Royale.
0: deliberately that. did bad parkour. Thank you very much. It was it was the guy he was chasing. <laughs> I haven't that was good seen it, at it, so
2: I can't judge. All I'm saying is that you have the same energy as you brought to Liam Hemsworth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so that setting guide similar to the Ethereal Expanse is there, but that setting guide is separate from episode one of Fables 3. So with the Ethereal Expanse, it was like most of that first episode was the setting guide and there was a little bit of adventure. This time, the setting guide is entirely separate and you'll get a full adventures worth or a full episodes worth of adventure with this uh, first release. You'll also get pre-generated characters starting at level three with this first release. And then every Fables release that we do uh, for the next six months, at least, you will get that setting guide no matter where you sign up for the Fable. So you won't miss out on getting the setting guide like you might have with Ethereal Expense if you subscribe late. And those pre-gen characters will continue to level up themselves as well. So they'll be level four for the second adventure, level five for the third adventure, et cetera. Um, uh, So that if you are jumping on kind of halfway through, it's all there, you're ready to go. You don't need to feel like you have to go back to the start if you don't want to, but maybe you will want to, who knows. Um, Does that kind of give you an idea, James, of the the leeway uh, of what you want to speak to there?
3: or did i just yes. or did i just yes. say it so, all uh, so <laughs> never mind <laughs> um, good, good, there's there's a lot of cool stuff coming
2: eagle 1 uh, we need you to stand down <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah exactly I, I felt the red dot <laughs> the heat on my neck just
0: switches off on the side
3: <laughs> um i needless to say what we've been doing with fables has gonna, every every season has been uh Learning from what we weren't able to do in the one before and figuring out how to do it, right? Because that setting guide for the Ethereal Expands was something that, we, that I wanted to have as a standalone item, mm. but for one reason or another, our, our schedule would not permit it. But we figured out how to make it happen. So now Joe's making that happen. Joe's got some other things that will that will solve a bevy of other problems that made uh, making fables uh, sometimes something of a challenge. And so it's just getting better each and mm. every time. and i'm 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 just so excited to see what he does next. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. My baby's taking flight.
2: I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna get a party together, and I'm gonna run totally spies. <laughs>
3: Yes, Dale.
2: Yes. I just feel like I want to see how that goes. Damn, Dale, call
3: me for that too. (laughs) Every idea you have is like, I need to be in this.
2: Ghostfire Gaming means totally spies. Let's see how we go.
0: (laughs) Sounds great to me. Sounds great to me. Um, uh, starting with this first episode, uh, just uh, if uh, for folks that are still on the fence, whether they want to dive in or not, you basically start as James mentioned as agents of the Caroline empire. What I like is included
3: um, ben, in I'm that. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you for a second because this is, this is something that Joe said for a while too. We'll just pointing the, at ben. <laughs> we'll, we'll see in the future if, uh, <laughs> or in the past, if he's, if he's changed <laughs> this, but I want to. Say, it's not Caroline Empire. It's Caroline. It's Caroline <laughs> I had no idea what you Empire. were going to say there. Sweet, <laughs> right. Sweet Caroline. Ba, ba, ba. Yeah, no. It's not Caroline. Did it's I say Carolane. that
0: during the 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 Pax live play as well? Was I was I wrong there too? Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> um, Caroline? Am I saying that correctly? It, it, it
3: rhymes with Charlemagne. That's why it's Charlemagne right Caroline.
0: Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm on track mm-hmm. now. All right, Dante, yeah, edit go. that out. Don't do it, Dante. you are agents Don't of Caroline Empire. Um, uh, Joe has taken the advanced backgrounds from Grim Hollow, kind of jimmied with them a bit and put them into this fable where you will get like uh, advancement through the agency as you become mm-hmm. more specialized as an agent uh, within the Caroline Empire's super secret service. And this first episode has you uh, investigating a kidnapping to start with, <gasps> uh, going on a rescue mission, but basically much like a James Bond movie, starts with what seems like a simple quest and then you pull the thread until more and more of this grand conspiracy uh, reveals itself, With uh, which oh, I have no doubt has some moral kind of ambiguous implications, as you were saying before, James, um, with the, the twists
3: and turns of the adventure. I went off I'm script slightly at the end there. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully... And- You know, in in the end, every empire
0: is evil. Uh, Fables, Agents of the Empire is available now. You can go to ghostfygaming.com. I have no doubt there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to go and check out uh, that and subscribe to Fables. Um, But as I was saying, speaking of things that we actually know about, let us talk. And this has been public knowledge for a little while, but we get to finally divulge some details on the Valican clans, which... Oh... I am so excited, quite genuinely, for the Valican Clans. It's a Grim Hollow Kickstarter that we are doing uh, in February. Uh, it is focused, if the name doesn't give it away, on the Valican Clans, which is the northern sort of Nordic part uh, of Grim Hollow. Um, we are doing two books for this Kickstarter, not just one, but two books, uh, one of which... Each of you, James and Sean, uh, led on. Uh, Sean, do you want to tell us about the first book, The Raider's Guide to Valica?
1: I will do that just for you, Ben, just for you.
0: I'm so excited.
1: So (laughs) we stepped back and we looked at the whole world of Aetherys and said, what would be the perfect place to start our deep dive into these nations And it was pretty unanimous that Valica was the place. So different from much of the rest of the world in terms of temperature, but also in terms of how they live. So Mm -hmm. this book will start with a gazetteer talking about the clans. There are six main clans, and then there are several minor clans. So each of those clans are looked at in great detail, what they believe, how they survive, what their specialties are, and so on. Rating is a big part of the life of all the members of the clans. So, we are going to give you new rating rules. And these rules, we've been playtesting, and they are super fun, as conceived by one Mr. James Hake. And these rules will let you. V- in in a way that gamifies it but makes it still story driven lets you step back from your own character and play an actual clan raiding party where you have to make decisions both before the raid begins and during the raid about how you're going to allocate your resources how f- much you're going to push your luck to try to get as many resources from this raid as you possibly can and it's that sort of Uh, stepping back and putting in these mechanics to let you play your character but also let you play something larger than your character that I think people are going to love. And I've been suspicious of mechanics like this in the past. They either try to do too much or they don't do quite enough. I think, thanks to James, we have hit just the right amount of rules to give the players something that they can actually have a little mini game with and the DM something that they can still have the freedom to adjudicate and still tell a fun story within these rules. I think it's going to blow everyone's socks completely off their feet. Sean, Yeah. (laughs) But that's not all. (laughs) We, we also have, I have the manuscript right here in front of me. So I can actually read it. No,
0: I'm just kidding. Yes, I I (laughs) can
1: share, shares. (laughs) eagle up, eagle (laughs) up. We also have new character. Yeah, we also have new character creation rules. Uh, We are going to adopt something similar to what we saw in Aurora with the character creation, rather than uh, falling back on races or species or whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use. We're going to allow you to create those sorts of rules based on the clan that you're affiliated with. So mm-hmm. you'll be able to pick and choose different abilities or traits uh, based on, on your clan, whether you're a member of that clan now or you were in the past. We're also giving you a new type of game mechanic for your subclass. Again, one Mr. James Hake had an idea for... Making these subclasses seem more like something that raiders, Nordic raiders would do. So we call them martial maneuvers. There is one new subclass for each uh class in the game that use maneuvers and maneuver points. So if you're you are a fighter, you have these maneuver points uh for your martial maneuvers, which you which give you more options to do things like you might see in the movie uh, 300, right? You, you you start to be able to affect things almost like a wizard might be able to. Maybe not on such a large scale, but you have some more options. To flip that around on the side of the wizards, their subclass gives you more abilities to do as if you were standing face-to-face with someone during a raid. So. It's not, oh, I can't do anything because I'm in the middle of this big brawl. It's now I have options that I can take my spell slots, turn them into points if I need to, and do these cool martial uh, actions. Mm. So that is an extensive and complete system that will be in uh, the book as well.
3: Mm. It's a a highly cinematic system. Um, Yes, yes. Mentioning 300 is, is perfect because it's like, what what would your characters look like if they were fighting in an incredibly uh, cool fantasy action movie um, mm-hmm. with a lot of that that mud and muck from Grim Hollow still in the mix? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the Falcons, they don't trust magic very much. Uh, there are some of them who do. The prismatic order has their druids, and there are there are orders of magicians that kind of secret themselves away in the wild. But for the most part, if you're if you're a magic user, you are not to be trusted, like in many other parts of Ethras. Yeah. Uh, and so, a lot of wizards learn how to fight left-handed, essentially. Right? They train themselves in the ways of the sword. And likewise, people who are warriors uh, learn how to do incredible feats. With their blade work, and so they they wind up meeting in the middle a little bit. Uh, there, there's still a lot of asymmetry within the classes. This is not a very it's not a homogenized system. You'll see that, for example, martial characters have a ton more maneuver points, and uh, wizardly characters have a lot fewer maneuver points, but they can fuel their spell slots into getting a few more points to eke out cool maneuvers with. Um, I really love this system. I love both the systems that Sean's talked about. Mm. Yeah, I do too. I was playing a druid
0: during our play test, but it felt like a big, beefy, broad, bare-skinned kind of berserker <laughs> druid yeah. um, uh, that was running into the middle of combat and not sort of sitting too far back. So,
2: Which harks back, P.S., to like the origin of the berserker, right? Like like these, these clans of Vikings who very specifically would be like, you know, I have gone out and become a bear. Like, like the story of berserkers was that they would become, you know, these, these great powerful beasts in the midst of battle.
3: Mm. Berserker literally means bear shirt, bear, bur Sarker shirt, bear shirt. They wear, they wear bear pelts, otherwise naked into battle. That's, that's the Norse berserker.
0: Etymology. (laughs) Um. (laughs) That was your
1: etymology moment of 2023.
3: (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh but as i mentioned there are two books going into this so the first uh sean has touched on pretty heavily the raider's guide to valica um i know lore is a massive thing that the community have been asking for more of from grim hollow so i'm really excited to to be able to dive into that um uh james you have been working on something a, a, a saga if you will mm. uh all on your own the second book the adventure book Please unpack that for us.
3: Yes, well, not entirely on my own. I had a, a small team of uh, exceptional adventure writers with me, but uh, Saga of the Seasons is the second book in the Balakin' Clan's Kickstarter. Um, it is a dark fantasy adventure that runs from levels, I believe offhand, it's three through 11. Um, and it uh, it all started with my thought about, how do you make an adventure in D&D feel like a dark fantasy story? You can Mm. have all the aesthetics of dark fantasy. You can have the blood and guts and body horror monsters and the oppressive political systems and the uh, dangerous wild lands. You can have all of that, which is great. But uh, the mechanics of D&D really want you to become a superhero. And I'm thinking, how can we make our characters a little bit more grounded than that? How do we keep them from going from dirt farmers to demigods over the course of about a month? Um, And the answer to that question is spread it out over a course of an entire calendar year. The Vikings themselves were very focused on the progression of the year. The Volsung saga is concerned about the progression of the Nordic year. And so this adventure begins in the the beginning of a year in spring and actually includes a calendar in the book that tracks you through every single week, all 52 weeks of that year until you have grown powerful enough at the end of winter to protect your fledgling seventh Valachan clan from the terrible monsters that emerge in the darkest nights of winter. Um, So uh, (laughs) you will not suddenly pop in as a 15th level character, after playing for what is, you know, what it may have been two years in the real world, but it's only about two months in game, you will feel that. You will feel the quests uh, and the travel and the raids and all of that spread out. Um, and I, my hope is that as you play with the brand new uh, fledgling schismatic Balkan clan, it's broken off from the others that has positioned itself unsure yet whether it's going to side with the uh the The lovers of diplomacy and the Kandar Alliance, or with the uh, the brutal thrall taking raiders of thrall uh what will their destiny be? How will you lead them? Will you usurp your chief and take his position? Will you be uh, his admirable lieutenants? Will your clan even survive the year? There are several different endings to this campaign that uh, that we've exampled out for you and um This is a dark fantasy adventure. (laughs) Uh, We have taken a lot of precautions to ensure that uh, the the DM has a nice off-ramp if things go horribly, horribly wrong for you, and it can still provide a a satisfyingly tragic end to your tale. And Uh, a satisfyingly heroic one if you beat the odds (laughs) and manage to succeed, of course.
0: This is this is going to be an odd analogy, but when I think about this, I, it scratches the same part of my brain as uh the Mass Effect trilogy.
3: Mm-hmm. And the
0: reason that that might seem odd is because of sci-fi, but um it uh it's like, you know, when when you go aboard the Normandy for the first time and it's like this is your ship, these are your crewmates, this is the story that you get to tell using this um kind of uh, these gifts that we have sort of given you as the storytellers for you to be able to tell this story. And it really feels like you have a sense of ownership of getting to go and explore the Normandy and, and whatnot uh, and explore. And then by extension, go and explore space. I just love this idea of like, this is your clan, right? This is, you get to create the history of this clan over the course of a year. Um, you are all characters from this clan. One of the best D&D campaigns I ran was where everybody started uh, as part of a moving caravan and everybody had a role in this moving village. And so it really felt like a tight-knit community from the start of the game and the characters all had a reason to interact with each other and decisions were made for the the betterment of the, the whole community as opposed to just the betterment of the party and what the party sort of wanted in an, an immediate situation. You go out, you raid, can you survive? Like I just, oh, I love it all. I love it all. I'm very looking forward to this. And can I also say... I just want to echo Sean a little bit because the raiding mechanics, I think, are super strong to to give folks an idea. It's basically like you see a map of a village or a location that you're trying to raid and there are like strong points or points of interest upon them and you'll get a description about what's located there and then you decide how much of your resources that you have in terms of soldiers or raiders in terms of things like a a battering ram to knock a door down or whatever you want to commit to attempting to take control of that location i think sean hit the nail on the head in terms of it's very story driven or it can be used to tell great stories and you feel like you are marshalling an army but the 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 war gaming side of my brain also got very scratched during that playtest, where i was coming in there i was like Okay, so what do I... I find a lot within D&D mini games that it can be a very... It can be a lot like, okay, we're learning this new minigame. What do I do? And the DM says, well, you roll this dice and this happens. And you're like, okay, I rolled it. And the DM's like, okay, this happens. All right, what do I do now? Well, now you're going to roll another dice and that's going to decide if the next thing happens. Okay, I rolled it. Well, ha- you know, there's no decision-making and playing games uh, is decision-making. And there were a few times where we were raiding, playtesting this... Where I'm like, oh, okay, I see the decision. I see the risk reward. I see the, if we do this, we're going to give up that. Um, uh, and, and also the raids got a lot harder. Like the the first one we did, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is this is fun." But if they're all like this, this is going to get a bit ho hum, maybe. And then we did the second one, and it was like, "Oh, okay, no, this is actually
3: yeah, yeah. We've
0: got to think about (laughs) this." Uh, Honestly, one of my—I mean, if you're a fan of Grim Hollow in general, one of my favorite applications. I think I'm going to try, and it's not what it's designed for, to be fair. But I do want to try, is just applying these mechanics to like a city pitched battle between two sides in a stoya. Like mm. there's Soma mm. Vampires on one side and Ravo hunters on the other side. And the party choose through early parts of the campaign which side they want to go with and then run like a Velikan raid as the climax of the the sort of yeah. that section of the story. I think um the they're, they're super applicable in that way. Yeah. So I've
3: I've kicked around ideas of what if we what if we made like a a warfare simulator in Uh, Etherus that Mm. was based on the back of these rules. I think it would be very cool. Mm. Um, Mm. But yeah, no, you you got it right. The the intention of these rules is to be a rules-light, story-driven war game. and I've been really delighted to see in playtesting that it's come through that way. Uh, It's it's my hope. Um, I'm not really uh, very familiar yet with how our public playtests go at Ghostfire, but my hope is that once the Kickstarter is uh, funded, uh, we will begin playtesting all this stuff, and people will be able to get their hands on it and see see it. And we can learn a little bit more about where where its joints need reinforcement, get the stress test, and and really make this thing because it's been great so far. Uh, but you know, uh, internal playtesting can only get you so far. <laughs> uh... um, oh, and 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 I should say this the the adventure. Uh, one of the things that it does is it's a proving ground for the raids. The the summer season here, just like uh, summer for real-world Vikings, uh, is when the sea ice melts and you travel south and you raid your neighbors. Mm. Um, And so these raiding rules uh, play directly into a major part of the adventure and defending your village from monstrous raiders later in the year as well. And so if you've got if you wind up getting Raider's Guide to Valica and you're like, these raid rules look great, but I really have no idea how to actually run them, the adventure has you there. But it's it's many different scenarios that provide really good examples of what these rules look like in play. I hope that I think it would be cool for us to do a little play demonstration for the YouTube channel too. I don't know. Yeah, for sure.
0: For sure. I'd be I shouldn't talk about
3: it. things we might do in the future, huh?
0: I mean, yeah, there, there, there's big things coming for, uh, for Ghostfire Gaming in the media department, but mm. I can't talk about them because we're recording this early and decisions haven't been made yet. Anyway, <laughs> like, I just don't know if they're going to pan out. Um, right. the, but some things I can talk about. There you go, second good segue. Um, it's just a little, just a little bit of a taste, a little bit of a tease for what Ghostfire has coming later in the year as well. Um, uh, so we've got Valica is our Q1 February Kickstarter. We have two more Kickstarters that I can talk about coming in the year. Now these are going to be teasers, but hopefully get folks excited. Uh, our second one coming later in the year uh, is going to be uh, a Kickstarter that touches on Grim Hollow. Aurora and twisted taverns. So we're sort of doing a bit of a, a variety Kickstarter in the middle of the year that will, and I'm very much dancing around what I'm allowed to say here, uh, provide you extra tools for running adventures uh, within those campaign settings. Um, So I'm really excited to see more about what they have in store. I've read some of the content for it, um, which is really exciting and I'm excited for folks to get their hands on that. So we've got more grim hollow content coming for for folks that are starved for that, but also more Aurora content, um, which is really exciting as well to get to explore some of those other campaign settings. Uh, And then for our third Kickstarter uh, for the year, I can say we're doing something a bit different from what Ghostfire has done before. It is Grim Hollow set. It is a board game. Uh, And... Basically, that's about the extent that I can say about it. Uh, (laughs) It was designed or or, or, uh, worked on by Peter Lee, um, who's worked with Wizards of the Coast, a a co-designer on the Lords of Waterdeep. So there's a bit of pedigree behind uh, this board game. Uh, We've been playtesting it in the office. It is a lot of fun.
3: Ben's underselling a, a bit. A pedigree. One of the greatest <laughs> board games ever made, Lords this of Waterdeep.
2: This isn't game. some plebeian <laughs> ordinary.
3: Literally, Lords of Waterdeep is one of my all-time favorite board games. Oh, it's really? It's unbelievable to have. To have I Peter also
2: League. feel like uh, as far as um, tabletop RPG-related board games go, it's mm. the tabletop RPG-related board game. It's a gold
3: standard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So this will probably be the gold standard uh, Grim Hollow uh, tabletop RPG board game. There you go. You were, board were game
3: first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All I can say uh, about this board game for the time being uh, is to beware the beast. Uh, and that is where I'm That's going to leave that one. It's meant to be. <laughs> those who know, know. And those who don't, uh, read the campaign guide. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> speaking of things coming out in 2023, looking beyond the horizons of uh, Ghostfire Gaming, Uh, Wizards of the Coast were very kind to provide us with their release slate for 2023, halfway through 2022. So we've got that whole slate here. I've written out the adventures that we've got, but we've also got other exciting things coming in 2023. Uh, The D&D movie is coming towards the start of the year. I think March 31st was the the release date for that currently. Um, And, of course, 1D&D and how that will invariably continue to influence... Dungeons and Dragons going across the course of a whole year because we know, in quotation marks, that 1D&D is slated or or 5.5, whatever they said last year, is slated for 2024. There's no, like, new system this year, but there is the book of many things, which seems to be probably going to incorporate some of that stuff, I would assume. Um, How are we feeling? What are we excited for from from? The, the, the industry at large in 2023.
3: I'm, I'm thrilled to see Physical Kingdoms and Warfare. I want to read that Teos Sabadia adventure. Uh, the sequel to the one I wrote in Strongholds and Followers like a giddy child.
2: <laughs> I've got mine. Alright, Dale. Stepped in. <laughs> Get wrecked. I got mine I, and I gave my spare copy to my friend Mitch. <laughs> I, sh-
3: I should Ouch, have stolen steams. one from the MCDM offices when I was there back in november i should have delightful. it's it.
2: very pretty
3: i i feel like i can't just answer everything the ghostfire is doing because that, that's the stuff i'm most excited for <laughs> I, I, i'm so psyched <laughs> for all of that i've got nothing else to say for this segment
2: for the DD like official stuff i'm i'm like eyes on this heist like a hawk Yeah,
0: mm. sure, yeah i yeah.
2: swear what see if this isn't Super heisty, I'm coming for you. I'm hopping on a plane and I'm flying to Seattle and I'm going to be banging on your door, okay? Give me a heist heist.
3: Hey, Wizards, give Dale a reason to bang on your door so we can hang out more. Will you do that? I want <laughs> yeah. I want her in Seattle. <laughs> if you're listening, Wizards, just really screwed this one up, not you? I'm just getting a,
0: a flash of, like, Dale sitting in a prison cell with James on the outside, <laughs> just casually chatting because she tried to burn down the Wizards' <laughs> yeah. office or something, like... No,
2: yeah. I hired I'm, Eagle One to, to sniper yeah. the Watsy officers
0: or, as well. Yeah. Or the saying, real heist. The James real heist saying, is getting I Dale out. I bet
1: you wish you'd given me a copy of that book now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Take that.
0: I will pay your bail for one copy of Kingdoms and Warfare.
1: But, but to you know, to piggyback on what, what Dale's talking about here, heists are hard to run in, in D&D in general. In role-playing games... You can do it. D D. Uh, it's it's difficult. Tricky stuff. Yeah. And this book is sort of there. We're going to give you however many 10, 12, 14 standalone adventures that mm. are all heist themed. This is getting to the point of specialization now where I'm questioning what's going on there. Is is this is this something that we need to put out a book with 15 standalone adventures because that's what we do now? And so let's do this. Is it because the movie is going to be a heist? So they want to show you how to do something like you're going to see in the movie. Uh, is it going to be 15 heists that use the same sort of template of what how to do heists? Uh, which, are, again, are, are terribly difficult to write. So I am, as a designer, I'm very curious to see how they're going to try to pull this off. To make several small heists that are different from each other, but are actually heists, as opposed to saying that it's going to be a heist, but it's really just another dungeon delve. Yeah, I I just don't know. Yeah.
2: And I mean, in in my dream scenario, we get a bunch of different heists that are that are small heists, but it you get the utility of being able to drop these into your home adventure, right? Being able to go, oh, the players need to steal this thing from this place. Let me flip through the book and pick one that seems fun. I think that's kind of my dream version of this.
0: I'm. Uh- I am most curious, I'll be honest, and it's because I'm not a wizards kind of guy. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to, it's not that I'm trying to pick my words carefully. It's that I'm trying to figure out what the accurate phrase is. It's not that I'm not a
3: a wizard stan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a wizard stan. Like, typically when I get one of their adventures, like Tomb of Annihilation, one of the most dark horror, uh, uh, dark fantasy adventures that they've released, um, you know, I'll usually gut it and then put my own thing over the top of it. So I'm not typically like excited for their adventure modules unless there's some promise there of something that, and to be honest, even Tomb of Annihilation, I didn't buy that to run that because I was like, that seems like a cool adventure. It was, oh, there's this jungle area in my campaign world and the players are going to go and explore that. Well, maybe this book will give me a bunch of ideas and, oh, actually I can kind of template this on top of that. So in terms of like you know keys from the golden vault, uh, Bigby uh, or the Fandelva campaign, the Book of Many Things, uh, Planescape maybe more more accurately. Um, I'm curious to see what they'll do with them, but I'm not uh, uh, you know biting my nails in anticipation. What I'm right. more curious about, and I think this is kind of true for for the industry, is we have twelve months. <laughs> For, for one D&D to continue to be in the lexicon without being, you know, in the lexicon, so to speak.
2: I don't so know if I'm going to make it.
0: <laughs> what what does the next 12 months look like? Is, is there some is... sort of virtual tabletop beta? Is, like, does that start to get rolled out more on D&D Beyond? Is the Book of Many Things, uh, you know, a, 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 a testing field for some of the new things that they're already putting in Unearthed Arcana? Is that why that stuff's in Unearthed Arcana so early uh, it all feels like they massively jumped the gun on 1D&D uh, and yet maybe
3: it needs this ramp up. I don't know. That's just what I, I'm most curious about. I was about to say this feels like the year before an election year. <laughs> and I realized what a cursed statement that was because this is a year before an election year. Yeah, I don't know. And we're you, already deep in the news cycle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I So I I think the releasing 1D&D is playtest. When they did, it's actually a good thing uh, for the state of the game, if not the state of my nerves, um because a, a thing this big, a thing as big as d and d, which is like a thousand page game at core, uh, it, it it deserves all that testing. It, it, it does. there There's a lot of stuff to just kind of chew through, and if they can pace it out um with someone wise at the helm knowing what to release and when to keep the public from kind of getting in over their heads, missing the forest for the trees. And I, I think it could be a good strategy, um, but yeah, Dale. Also, I don't know if I can take another year of this. The, the discourse is the is discourse is awful a lot.
2: Ooh, ee, ooh. And I like. I have a lot of opinions, and I like having them. But I feel like I have to have opinions on so many more things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I feel like one of the issues that we're dealing with is when third edition reached its end. I'm gonna. This is Sean's generalization minute.
3: (laughs) Love
1: uh, it. When it reached its its end, even people that liked it were ready to move on. There was was bloat. Things were getting a little silly. They were adding all different sorts of swift actions and, and things in the game that just made the game a little much for people. So people were ready for a new edition in general. Fourth edition... The people that loved fourth edition were not ready to move on from fourth edition, but there weren't enough people that loved fourth edition to continue fourth edition. So, in that sense, people were ready to move on. Fifth edition had the great fortune of being loved by more people than not. And also, people aren't quite sick of it yet in general, but it's being moved on from. For other reasons, which if we talk about the business side of things, we, we know what those reasons are. So people aren't quite ready. And what we've seen so far with the playtest packets, as far as I'm concerned with, with 1D&D, is the slightest of tweaks to a game that maybe didn't need a lot of tweaks. Some tweaks, yes. But did it did it need as many tweaks as we are seeing in these playtest packets? Maybe not.
3: Sean calls it now. One D&D is the Overwatch 2 of Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Put that in your sizzle reel. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I said it last year a fair bit, it felt like Wizards were kind of in an odd spot of like, they need to evolve the brand, they need to keep moving. Wargames are are kind of notorious for this, particularly Warhammer and Warhammer 40k. I haven't been uh, deep in 40k since I was a teenager, so like 14 years ago at this point. But um, famously, I think they had a new edition for like four years or three years or something like that before, before that cycle kind of came around again. Uh, it's the same with video game consoles, you know, like th- there's a cyclical nature to all of this that uh, needs to keep rolling for a brand to survive um, as well Which as, Which I you hate, know. by the way. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, but, but there's mm-hmm. genuinely good reasons for it as well. I mean, with video game consoles, obviously new technology uh, kind of rolls around um, and refreshing a uh, – a game system, uh, you know, allows for new things, allows for it to feel fresh and exciting over again. Um, what what does it mean to be an elf in this, you know, version of the game? What new abilities do I have? Oh, I can see why I have this ability and not that one anymore because that feels more special or whatever. You know, there's an excitement to that. But there is also... um I don't know, a lot of anxiety in the community about what's, what this is going to look like and, and whether these books will still be relevant in, in 12 months' time or six months' time or whatever. You know, everybody yeah. only just bought Mordenkainen's Monsters of the Multiverse and Tasha's Cauldron. And even though I think Tasha's is now a two- or three-year-old book at this point, it still feels so recent that by the time uh, the next book comes along, it's like, wait, what, another one of these? Ooh. Yeah.
1: Some of this comes <laughs> back, too, to just the, the product cycle. Uh, which yeah. is when we first when when fifth edition first came out we we had the box set, and then we had the the first adventure from cobalt press, tyranny of dragons uh, and the community knew what d and d was dms that make their own stuff great they're not they're part of the community, but they're not part of the story that wizards is telling but Everyone could be, oh, it's the dragon season and it played out and we had time to play the adventure. And then the next one would come and it's Princes of the Apocalypse and it, you know, it's, it's this thing and this is the story now. And the cycle was so slow because Wizards wasn't worried about making money on d Yeah. They were, they didn't expect to make a lot of money off the actual books. So they could take their time. They could, Bring the community together, they could tell these stories. And now we are getting five, six books in 2023 with a game that may or may not be completely irrelevant by 2024. uh, One of which is a rules heavy book, the Book of Many Things, which may or may not be the transition into the next version of DD. We don't know. The campaign that has then starting people off, Fandelver, in both of the first two box sets, Fandelver was the location, a great place for new players to be brought into the game. And now it's going to be smashed with cosmic horror, which may, <laughs> may not be the best way to bring in new players who are seeing the fun d movie and want to play and then come to, oh, Fandelver, that's where the box set was, I'll buy this. So there's there's so much going on. They're fragmenting the interest of even their hardcore fans um, with Spell Planescape coming and Spelljammer right on top mm. of Dragonlance, right on top of you know whatever the next whatever the other books are. I mean, I went with my friends who are hardcore fans and said, "Can you name the last three Wizards products?" And we couldn't. We couldn't, we, we could guess sort of what they were, but we were forgetting Strixhaven uh, because that <laughs> oh, was yeah. just sort of shoved in there and that really supported in a way that brought the community together. And you would have thought that would have been a great product to get new people in. I but felt that just, about yeah. a
2: few of their products as well. Like, um, I, I think the first time I really felt it was Theros, and and that was an interesting one because it kind of hit at, at about the same time as the pandemic. There was really unfortunate timing of delaying the release because they wanted to, to release to physical stores when there wasn't a lockdown. That mm. didn't work out, and they ended up releasing it really just before um, some new Eberron stuff dropped. And it, it suddenly, no one cared, you know, it, it, we'd missed that wave and we were onto the next one already. Um, and then I felt like a, a kind of a similar thing happened with, um, with Spelljammer as well. It felt like they released, they released the 1D and D stuff sort of immediately on the tail of Spelljammer. And so everyone just forgot about it and didn't think about it at all.
3: Yeah. And and most tragically of all, Spelljammer did the exact same thing to Radiant Citadel, a yes. book that we just the other week were giving an award to. <laughs> uh, is it, It's one of the most imaginative and new and heartfelt books that Wizards has put out in years. So and
2: certainly one of the first books in a long time that I've actually been eager to
3: get a look, look at, you know? Yeah. And it just felt like too much fuel on the fire smothered it.
0: Unfortunately, none of us have uh, an orb to ponder, so uh, we will not know the answers to these for the next 12 months, but I'm excited. It's going to be a big year in tabletop RPGs uh, regardless of the future of 1D&D, so I will be excited to see. Um, But speaking of the end of an edition, we need to end this podcast because this (laughs) is the, the end of the first podcast uh, for 2023, uh, if you're joining us again from 2022, thank you for uh, joining up with the Eldridge Lawcast. Subscribe if you're listening to this on YouTube or wherever it is. Um, uh, we 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 don't advertise for this podcast, so word of mouth uh, is the way that we get out to more people. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. My, my name's Ben Byrne, and I've been here with James Hake, Dale Kingsmill, Sean Merwin. As always, effortless outro. We'll see you next week. <laughs>
1: Ha, ha, ha,